You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. And a good Rico Bronia to you, everybody. Evan Roberts, Pete Hoffman. We got exciting news over the last couple of days. News that when you think about it, shouldn't be stunning. But when it happened, kind of was a surprise. And that's the topic of today's podcast Jeff McNeil signing a brand new extension with the New York Mets, essentially a four-year, $50 million contract. We'll get into the contract. We'll get into Jeff McNeil's future with the Mets. Jeff McNeil's past with the New York Mets. Today's episode will be dedicated to New York Met Jeff McNeil. I did decide a couple of days ago with this whole Rico Bronia rewatch to just succumb to the pressure and put a poll up on Twitter. And if I saw that the results of the poll were shady, then I would have decided, all right, let's change it. Maybe we won't take the results. And I put four games that we discussed on the last Rico, the idea of picking a past Met game, giving ourselves a couple of weeks, rewatching the game, and then devoting an entire podcast to that game. Pete's recommendation was the Johan Santana no-hitter from a decade ago. My recommendation was game seven, of the 86 world series, because it's sort of a forgotten about game. Everyone talks about game six. Everybody remembers game six, but it was still a winner take all game. The Mets trailed in that game. Maybe we should give some attention and love to a game seven of the world series. Only one of two game seven of the world series. This franchise has ever played. So that was my recommendation. There were a lot of emails suggesting game number seven between the Mets and Cardinals in the 2006 NLCS because you're all a bunch of psychopaths. And then, and this was the trick here, Pete, I picked a fourth game that's a classic in Met history. That's another negative game. So we had two positives and two negatives, but I put it out as bait because I was very skeptical of a Twitter poll, considering a lot of people who follow me are Met fans. They're trolls. They're also Yankee fans. So I put game one of the 2000 World Series just to see just to see if Yankee fans would vote on that game and shove it down our throat of us having to watch not just a Met loss, but a Met loss to the Yankees. And I liked what I saw. 
Now, I'm keeping this poll up for a week, so I'm not exactly declaring a winner, even though we already have a winner. I mean, let's be honest. That's the way polls work. The early returns are the results, essentially. And the returns have been out for a couple of days now. But the 2000 World Series game number one, which was a test for Yankee fans, has garnered very little support. In fact, the least amount of support. So with 4,000 votes in at last check, that only got 16% of the vote which gives me comfort that the poll was legit, that it was genuinely fans of either this podcast or Met fans who said, this is the game I'd want to watch. And right now with a commanding lead, believe it or not, is the game I recommended, which I'm very surprised about. Game seven of the 86 World Series has 39% of the vote. Game seven of 06, the loss, has 27% of the vote. Johan's no-hitter is at 18% of the vote. And then, like I mentioned, 2000 World Series game won 16% of the vote. I'm really stunned by this because even though this is the game I recommended and I suggested and I sold it a little bit on the last podcast, it's before a lot of our times. Like, I haven't seen the game in its entirety. And I just thought that the loss would sell out. So I'm surprised by these results and will abide by the results. But are you surprised that game 786 is running away with it, Pete? Yeah, I kind of am. I really thought that we were much negative, much more negative uh, as Mets fans would want to see something really torturous and painful. I really did assume that we'd be seeing game seven of 2006. I really did. That's what I thought. That's what I, especially because, <laughs> A, that's what I was getting a lot of emails about and tweets about, almost like it would be therapeutic to rewatch it. But I guess when you let the masses decide, they went positive. They said, F that. <laughs> and maybe. <laughs> Like, I'll tell you what, what I lean towards. While I would have been open to watching any of these games, and we could do this multiple times, so it's not as if this is a one-time thing. If it goes well, if people like it, if I like it, if you like it, we could do it again. Um, I was drawn in more by the game I didn't see because I remember game seven of 06. Now, re-watching it, you'll pick up on other things, no doubt. It's been a long time, but I lived it. Most of us lived it. A game that's in our history that I was three years old for, so I don't remember, I think it's cool. Like I just think that's cooler to actually watch a game that most of us, not all of us, we certainly have plenty in the audience over the age of, let's say, 43 that remember that game, but it is kind of cool to watch a game that we didn't see. And I will tell you this, I'm whipping out the scorecard for the rewatch. I'm not only going to watch it, I'm going to score that mother bleeper. There we go. Uh, listen, it, it, it's... One of those things where I, I wanted to see something that I've watched it because I got to be honest, I don't typically go back and rewatch games that I've been to. So that's why I want to watch one of these other games that not not the the World Series game, but I've never watched before. So that was my mind frame of it. But I guess everyone's a little different. And then listen, it, it's the last World Series we won, so why why the hell not? Might that's well right. Something. <laughs> I mean, geez, it's a World Series we won. Damn it, we should all be celebrating this. We should all have to watch it. Once a year, essentially, as a Met fan. I remember as a kid, I would always watch this VHS tape about the history of the franchise. And I would always watch this other VHS tape, the story of the 86 Mets. And I'd watch it every year before opening day to pump me up, to excite me. And the one that was the history of the franchise ended in 85. So, like, it was a 25th anniversary VHS. So it never even had the 86 World Series. Hence why I then watched the tape of the 86 World Series. And I always got a kick out of that. Pump me up. 
so wait, now get back to your scorecard thing. You're going to score this whole game. Where does it sit? Like, which do you have a special scoreboard for uh, scorecard for for games you go back to? Is it gonna? Are you gonna frame it afterwards? Like, what, what are you gonna do? <laughs> I don't know. It's a great question because during the pandemic, I did for the first time in my life score old games for the air a little bit, but also just for fun, just to pass the time when the kids are sleeping, my wife's passed out, and I'm like, what the hell am I gonna watch? There's no sports, and I didn't do it on like a regular scorecard. I kind of made one up on my iPad, which is not really scoring. But I do think for this occasion, I've got to bring out a score card. So I haven't decided, do I go into the Bob Carpenter book, which I use? Do I just print out a generic scorecard? I got to think about that. I have not determined that answer yet, Pete, but I'll figure it out over the next couple of days. Yeah, you got to save it. It's got to go somewhere special. Like, you know, you have to like sh- almost like shrine. It's like I, you actually sat down, watched the game and scored it. It's, it's got to be a special moment. You're reliving history. Okay, it should be the cover art for Rico Bronia for two weeks. How about that? <laughs> there we go. I love it. There we go. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. All right, let's get to Jeff McNeil. We'll get to the contract, then we'll go back and take a look at his career and everything moving forward. When Jeff McNeil posted on Instagram about five days ago that he was at City Field and then subsequently was at a Ranger game that night, it was natural for a lot of people on social media to say, what's going on? Does Jeff McNeil negotiating a contract extension? And I wanted to think the same thing. A part of me wanted to believe that. But then I thought to myself, come on. It's not as simple as that. He could be at City Field just because he wanted to visit New York. Maybe he wants to to drop stuff off at his New York apartment prior to going down to spring training and figured, hey, let me go into City Field. Let me say hi to the security guards. Let me just see what's up. Let me give uh, Billy Epler a fist bump. And then, oh, by the way, there's a hockey game tonight. Let me go see it. And I think a lot of times we jump to a million conclusions based on small things. So while, yeah, my Mets text chat was lighted buzz with the idea of Jeff McNeil in town, I, for the most part, shrugged it off, figuring it probably doesn't mean anything. And then all of a sudden, you hear in the last 72 hours, they're talking. And within minutes of they're talking, we have a deal. Jeff Passon tweets it out, a four-year, $50 million deal. And I think to a T, everyone had the same reaction. Number one excitement if you're a Met fan. Like, who would be against this? We want Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonzo, the two guys that were scheduled to be free agents after 2024 to sign. But also... Really? That's it? (laughs) I think we all had that reaction. And it's understandable. We're living in a time in which, you know, we're watching shortstops get 12-year contracts, 13-year contracts, $300 million, $250 million. We just saw our own Brandon Nimmo, good ball player, get $160 million, whatever it turned out to be. I forget now. So naturally, when you've got a guy that won the National League batting title, and you've got a guy that's had a really consistent career outside of one bad year, you would just think on the surface, well, he's going to get $100 million. He may not get Pete Alonzo money. He may not get the $300 million that Lindor got. But I do do think it's natural to just assume it was going to be a big-time contract. Now when you peel some layers off and you start to really think about it, and we never did. We didn't devote an entire podcast to the McNeil extension. We were going to, believe it or not, in late March. I was going to do that with Pete Alonzo too. The McNeil one has been canceled because there's a contract. But we were going to, you know, peel some layers off and analyze this fully and look at player comps and say, okay, 
here's a realistic contract. Not saying we would have nailed it by any stretch, but we would have put more thought to it. I hadn't put that much thought to it. So my natural thought was, since I didn't think that much about it, wow, four years, $50 million, that's a freaking steal. When you look closer at things and you see not only his age today, how old he is right now, which is 30, but essentially he's 31 because a week into this season, he's going to turn 31. And then you think about, well, next year he's under contract, at least not under contract, but arbitration eligible. He'll be here. Now he's 32. Now, when you think about his free agent year, he's 33 years old. And by the way, I'm not judging him. It's this is none of this is his fault. It's when he was born. It's when he was drafted. It's how long it took for the Mets to call him up. So these aren't things like Jeff McNeil effed up, but he's going to be 33 years old upon entering free agency. That's number one. Number two, he's a really unique baseball player. Now that uniqueness is something I love. And it's something that I think a lot of people in our audience love because it's so different in this era, which is he does not strike out a lot. He puts the bat on the ball. He hits for a high average. He doesn't hit a lot of home runs. He had one stretch of time in his major league career back in 2019, which was a very good year in which he hit home runs. He had 23 of them that year. And if you look back at when he hit them, they pretty much all came in the second half. It's almost like Jeff McNeil said, I'm going to try something different in the second half of the year. More on that later because I always found that fascinating. But he doesn't hit a lot of home runs. And the guys who get paid, not that they're typical 40 home run a year sluggers, but they hit for more pop than Jeff McNeil does. So when you look at comparable baseball players, and I gave this a lot of thought, okay, who's comparable to Jeff McNeil today and who's comparable to Jeff McNeil from the past? And, and it's impossible to find a guy that's exactly the same, a left-handed hitter, a guy that plays multiple positions, and then obviously those qualities I just described. So some of the names I'm going to mention off the top, you're going to say, well, that's not the same. It's never going to be perfect. From the past, one guy that was pretty similar is Placido Polanco, similar in terms of position versatility. Polanco could play anywhere. Obviously, Polanco was a righty. McNeil was a lefty. From this day and age, there's one guy that jumps out at me who's very similar and get get to know him, Met fans, because he got traded to the National League East this year. So if you're not that familiar with him, you're about to find out. And that's Luis Arise, formerly of the Minnesota Twins. Another guy, he's played second. He's played third. He's played first. He bats left-handed. He's won a batting title. In fact, the batting title he won was this year. But I think Jeff McNeil is better. Because Luis Arise has no pop. Extra base hits, not normal. Jeff McNeil, a little bit more pop. I'm not just talking about home runs, by the way, when I talk about pop. I'm talking about slugging percentage. I'm talking about driving the baseball. I'm talking about getting extra base hits. But Luis Arise won a batting title last year. He had 316. His OPS was under 800, which is a part of what I'm talking about. He doesn't draw that many walks. Did not hit for a lot of pop. But it's similar. I mean, Luis Arise and Jeff McNeil are pretty similar, but one thing that hurts Jeff is Luis is 26 years old, or he's going to be 26 years old. So you're talking about a five-year age difference. But I think they're similar. Michael Brantley, as a hitter, very similar. Obviously, the position stuff, not the same. Brantley's a lot older. He's had an injury history. But the kind of hitters that they are are similar. 
And if you look at Michael Brantley's paydays in his career, two-year, $32 million deal. That was the contract he signed at 32 years old when he left Cleveland to go to Houston. Now, Brantley had concerns about his health, which was a thing, and I think probably led to him only getting that two-year contract. But look at his offensive numbers. Look at his age. Look at him. Look at him as a baseball player. And this is after 2018, I should say. I was going into the 2019 season. In 2018, Michael Brantley played 143 games, so he stayed healthy. Two previous years was not healthy. But contract year, plays 143 games, hits 309, 17 home runs, 76 RBIs, 832 OPS, never strikes out, only strikes out 60 times. Those are McNeil-like numbers. I mean, think about what Jeff McNeil just gave us this season. He had 326, so higher batting average, only nine home runs, lower batting average. 836 OPS is exactly the same. How many strikeouts did I say Brantley had 60? McNeil had 61. So statistically, I mean, very similar seasons, different positions. I get that. Brantley exclusively an outfielder, a lot of DH. Jeff McNeil, second base, left field. You could put him anywhere. But that was Brantley in a contract year. McNeil's not in a contract year. He was in a year of two more years of team control. Michael Brantley goes to free agent off the season that Jeff McNeil just had and signs a two-year, $32 million deal. And if your point or your thought would be, yeah, but those injury seasons really cause concern, that's going to cause concern on the years. It's not going to cause too much concern on the money. And now McNeil is getting less money than that, but not by a lot. So Jeff McNeil is getting 7.5 this year. He's getting 11.5 next year. Those are the two years where all he could do is just negotiate via arbitration or have that as his power. Like, here's what I want. Let's say what they want. They don't agree. They go to arbitration. These This year and next year was just based on that. So obviously the Mets had the power there. 7.5, 11.5. Then the two free agent years they just bought out. I told you Brantley was making $16 million. McNeil, 15.5, 15.5. So when you really think about it, Jeff McNeil got the same deal Michael Brantley got. It ain't much different. It's two years past free agency. There's a um, a club option, which we should point out, but it's a two-year, $31 million deal that McNeil got post-arbitration. Brantley's contract was two years, $32 million. So it's it's kind of... I don't want to say what we expected because I didn't expect it because I didn't do the research. I admit this. Like, I wasn't prepared. I told Pete, I said, late March, McNeil extension. (laughs) But when you look at the comps, and I think Brantley is, he's a decent comp. There is no perfect comp. Even Luisa Rise isn't a perfect comp because he's 25 years old. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. 
Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Trying to find a baseball player like Jeff McNeil. The contract makes sense. So his agent should not be fired. If, if you're someone saying, come on, this agent's a schmuck. He should be fired. No, I think this is the market for someone who is in the situation of Jeff McNeil, which is he's not that young. He doesn't hit for a lot of pop. He's this kind of baseball player. No one's going to feel bad for him. It's still a lot of wealth that he now has guaranteed over the next four years. But the kind of baseball player he is, this is the contract that makes sense for him. Yeah, you know, it's funny because there's one person who actually played in New York that I'm, I, I, I look at and I go, tail end of his career, Looks very similar to Jeff, kind of looks similar to Jeff McNeil, but he played in the pinstripes, Yankee pinstripes, played shortstop. His name is Derek Jeter. If you look at the last seven years of Derek Jeter's career, he wasn't, a, he was, he really never was a home run hitter. He hit 20 home runs. Again, we talk about small ball, ballparks, whatever, t- different era, et cetera. But he was just a hit, pure hitter, hit close to 200 hits a season, had those doubles. If he wasn't hitting doubles, maybe he had a couple more home runs a season, but RBI totals went down towards the second half of his career. OPS was very similar to McNeil. Sturdy defense. And that's basically what Jeff McNeil, what he adds to this team, to the Mets, for the next four years, it's amazing, actually. If you think about you have that piece, pure hitter, and whatever else they're going to do. We've already talked about next year, about Otani of the world coming to, to New York. Think about a guy like Jeff McNeil, who all he does is get on base and hit the ball. Our lineup is going to be so freaking stacked. It's going to sound, it's going to look like, wow, the Mets got one over on McNeil at the end of the day. It really is. It, he he also allows them to pursue a lot of different ways of getting better because he's a borderline gold glove second baseman. Getting to watch him every day. I'm not going to compare him to every other second baseman in baseball because we don't watch them every day. But watching Jeff McNeil every day, he plays the position really, really well. He plays it at a very high level. Luis Guillerme is a gold glover where Luis Guillerme. Ah, who stopped himself and corrected? Yeah. Luis Guillerme is a gold glover wherever he is. So even though Jeff McNeil may not be the best defensive second baseman on his team, he is really, really good at second base and he's only gotten better. And I think, a lot of the defensive metrics back that up. So that's not just the eye test, which is important. I think the defensive metrics back that up too. When he plays the outfield, he is suitable. He is fine. He is not a gold glover in the outfield, but he doesn't embarrass himself. And why that's so important is because if the Mets are looking for a bat at the trade deadline, okay, we're sitting here saying, oh my God, they need to add a veteran bat. McNeil allows you to make that bat a second baseman or an outfielder. And I bring that up because you never know who's available. You know, you can't create the available player in a Petri dish. Sometimes you got to get what's what's there. You can't predict it. So having guys that can play anywhere, second base, third base, not as good as third base, but can play third base, left field, right field, could stick them over at first base if you needed. Not that that's really something they want to do. It also creates these opportunities, not just at the trade deadline, but during the offseason, when you're changing your roster, when you're improving your roster, to look at them as a Swiss Army knife. 
where he could move somewhere else to help your team get better. And obviously during the course of a long season with injuries, that also creates an opportunity. And when Starling Marte missed a lot of time, one of the first things I brought up is Jeff McNeil should play the outfield. Uh, The left field situation right now, here's how I view it with no Carlos Correa. What does left field have to do with third base? Here's what it does. Brett Beatty can play a lot of left field. Jeff McNeil can play a lot of left field. Eduardo Escobar can play third base, or maybe Brett Beatty plays third base, and Eduardo Escobar plays second base, and Jeff McNeil plays left field, giving them other outfield options. Mark Canna is a fine player. Starling Marte is going to miss time. Mark Canna and Starling Marte are not playing 155 games. They're not, and they shouldn't. So who is playing in left field? Who is playing in right field? Having that kind of position versatility allows it to be a lot of different guys. The guy who may end up getting in the lineup to replace Starling Marte is Luis Guillorme. It's simple. He plays thir- a second. McNeil goes to right. McNeil goes to left. It could be Brett Beatty. Now, I don't know yet where the Mets are going to feel more comfortable with Beatty. Is it left field? Is it third base? Because one option is Beatty at third, Escobar at second, McNeil in left. Another option is Beatty at um, uh Beatty and left, Escobar third, McNeil at second. Depends on how you view each of those three guys at those positions. The point is, I don't want to get bogged down in that, is that McNeil's versatility creates all these options, which is a part of the value that he has. He's an interesting guy because Jeff McNeil did not play high school baseball until his senior season. And the reason was he was a great athlete, which is not surprising. He's a you're in the major leagues, you're a good athlete. In the, you're in the major leagues, you probably played a whole bunch of sports. He played basketball and was really good, but his number one sport was golf. He was an incredible golfer. And because golf and baseball, their seasons occurred at the same time, Jeff McNeil picked golf over baseball. It's a true story. And I guess he struggled in some kind of tournament in 2009 as a teenager, and that made him say, F it, I want to play baseball. Now, it's probably not as simple as that, I'm sure. There's other reasons why he decided to just pick baseball. But, yeah, he didn't play high school baseball as a sophomore, as a junior. He didn't play it till he was a senior and had a great senior year, went to college, got a scholarship, and was eventually drafted in the 12th round of the 2013 draft by Sandy Alderson. Thank you, Sandy. For anyone who wants to rip Sandy, or really any GM, I always say this, Sometimes you don't know the results until it's too late. Sometimes you don't get to kind of drink the sweet nectars of the juice until it's way down the road. Omar Minaya didn't get a lot of love until 2015 because he was credited for building a lot of that team. Well, Jeff McNeil in the 12th round, that's an effing steal. Let's just acknowledge that. And looking back at his numbers at single A, at rookie ball, The guy just went out and hit wherever he played. It didn't matter. You look at his numbers and you're like, yep, yep, yep. Oh, that makes sense. That's Jeff McNeil. And then finally they called him up in 2018. It was July of 2018. Obviously, you may remember that was just an awful, awful season. It was the first year of Mickey Calloway. The Mets got off to a great start. We were fooled into thinking this team was really good. This team was really different. And then they collapsed. They had an awful June. They fell out of it. And there was a push from us as Met fans to call up some of the kids because we have baseball reference. We can see 
that there are minor leaguers performing. And McNeil was never a huge prospect, but you saw the numbers. You know, we all have the tools now to see how guys are doing. And so they finally called him up in July and all he did was hit and never cooled off. Like just hit the crap out of the ball, hit three, well over 300. Didn't hit for a lot of pop, but just hit. Pete Alonzo was the other guy we wanted to see them call up. And it was a little controversial and Pete wasn't happy about it. Never called him up. And then we get to 2019, which is Jeff's first full season in the major leagues. I find this season to be one of the most fascinating offensive seasons you'll ever see. And I'll explain why right now. My dad used to tell me as a kid that Wade Boggs, who was always a you know, great hitter, not much of a power hitter, one year decided I'm going to hit for some pop. And the warning was I'm going to hit for a lower average, but I'm going to hit more home runs. And Wade Boggs did it and just proved, hey, I, I, can, I can be a great hitter. It's which kind of hitter do you want me to be? I'm going to read you Jeff McNeil's splits from 2019, his first half and his second half. Very simple. And it is fascinating. It's like Jeff McNeil at the All-Star break said, I'm going to try this. So in the first half of the year, Jeff McNeil hit 350. Awesome, right? He only hit seven home runs in 70 games, but still, that's not bad. That's a pace for 14 home runs. Seven home runs hit 350. His OPS, 918. Second half of the season. The average drops all the way down to 276. Not bad by any stretch, but certainly not 350. So his batting average drops 74 points. Instead of hitting seven home runs, and this is in less games. This is in 15 less games. He goes from seven home runs to 16 home runs. His OPS, in the first half it was 918. In the second half, 915. Same exact OPS. Strikeouts. First half of the year, he struck out 38 times. Again, it was in 15 more games. Second half of the year, you could tell the strikeouts are up 37. So same amount of strikeouts in 15 less games. His average is down 75 points. His on-base percentage is down 56 points. But his slugging goes up. His power goes up. OPS is exactly the same. His OPS plus, very similar. So he produced, in essence... Similar numbers, except so different. You know, he said, I'll give you the pop, but a lower batting average. First half, not as much pop. I'll give you a higher batting average. I had so much fun with this. I would bring this up a lot during the offseason. And Sarah Bet fans, which one do you want? Like, it's a great question. The OPS comes out to be exactly the same. 918, 915. It's the same. So do you want the guy who's going to hit more? And the RBIs were also very similar, but they were up a little bit, actually, because he had 36 RBIs in the first half, 39 in the second half. So he had three more RBIs in the second half. But he also, again, played in, actually, it was 19 less games. So the RBIs are up. The home runs are up. The average is way down. The OPS is the same. I thought it was awesome because it showed you Jeff McNeil can be two kinds of hitter. Now, which one do you want? So, Pete, I- I'll ask you this. Which one would you prefer? Like, if I'm giving you the player for a full season, OPS is going to come out the same, but there's going to be just a huge difference in terms of power and batting average. Which one do you sign for? 
It's it's extremely simple. It's the easiest question I've ever been asked in my entire life. It's the first half, Jeff McNeil. That's the guy I want. That's the guy that's needed for this team. I mean, a guy that can get on base and, and just be productive with his at-bats, not wasting that bat is, to me, is more important than anything else. And I mean wasting that bat because strikeouts going up is a wasted at-bat to me. Um, again, OPS is the same, but again, on base, I think you said was was higher, right? Yes. When he was hitting three fifty, it was higher. Yes, that 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 to me is is huge. We always talk about what makes Brandon Nimmo so successful. It's the fact that he can get on base. He has a bat high average, gets on base. I my counter to this though would be (laughs) no, because you said something and it started hitting me. I was like, I don't know for this Met team, the Met team we just watched, the team that didn't hit enough home runs, right? That team, they wouldn't have been better off with power, Jeff McNeil. I mean, think about it. They got, they had guys getting on base. They didn't hit enough home runs. Yeah, uh, you, you're. I get your point, but he's so he he does his job so well. You can easily bring somebody else in to do the power bat. You can't bring somebody in to do what he does well. No one, no one hits for high average anymore. Yes, no, that, that you're right. In the in the grand scheme of baseball, he's unique. And so having a guy hit, and he didn't hit 350 last year, but his season was very similar to first half Jeff McNeil of 2019. He didn't hit 350, but he hit 326. His OPS was 836. Again, not quite as high as 19. 19 was the best year of his career. It just was. But he only hit nine home runs. In fact, in the last three seasons, obviously 2020 was a partial season. 2021 was a disaster for him. He's hit 20 combined home runs over three seasons. That year I just mentioned, he hit 23. He hit more home runs in that one season than he's hit in the rest of his career combined. That's actually the same. It's 23 and 23 because he's at 46 home runs. Half of them came in the 2019 season, and most of them came in the second half of 2019. Like, you're right in general. I would prefer the 350 guy. I'm just countering that this Met team, the one that we're watching from last year, the one that we kind of expect in 2023, lacked power. If Jeff McNeil's hitting 14 more home runs, even if it's at the cost of a little bit in his batting average, are the Mets a better offensive team? Well, here's the thing that I actually counter to you because what, 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 one thing that you said is like, is it more important if McNeil is doing that? It seems like... 2019 was his best year, and he had the two halves. Was that the team telling him, we want you to change your approach? Because if you look at 2021, how bad that was, that was a known thing. He had changed his approach to the plate. He had changed everything. So maybe it's just, maybe he realized, or they realized, he's most effective not doing that. Yeah, it's strange. So that was 2019, best year of his career. 2020 happens before 2021, the year that we're talking about. And I know it's tough to judge that year because it was so short, but he went out and played 52 games, and he was Jeff McNeil. He had 311. He only had four home runs, but again, 311, 836 OPS. Like He was more of the first half Jeff McNeil than he was the second half. That's why when you look at 21 and you try to figure out what the hell happened because it is, it's an outlier in the five seasons that he's played. Now, granted, it's only three full seasons because 2018, he gets called up in the second half. 2020 is a partial season. So we're viewing three full years of 19, 21, and 22. I guess you can combine 2018 and 2020 to call that a full season. But 2021 was a disaster. And I 
I don't know. You're right. The approach is something he had talked about. He didn't hit a lot of home runs that year, but his average collapsed. He had 251, which is remarkable, and had a 679 OPS to the point where a lot of us were talking, trade him. That This guy's not any good. He got into a fight with Lindor. Get rid of him. I, I don't think I was ever... We weren't doing the Rico at the time to have a, you know, like a full discussion on it. I wasn't like, you got to trade him. But I'll admit, was I open to trading him? Yeah. But it's a reminder. You never want to trade someone when their value is at their lowest. You know, it's tough to trade someone when their value is high because you love the guy. But when their value is at their absolute lowest, that's also not exactly the right time to deal a guy. And thank God they didn't because he proved with his 2022 season that 2021 is an anomaly. I don't think that's a year that any of us fear he's going to have unless he gets into these just awful habits or something. No, and again, I think that's the uh, – he talked about the approach, and that's what I'm saying to you. Like, was this more of he himself was like, oh, I'm going to try to hit more home runs. I'm going to try to up my ante, find a way to get more money, get get paid. He just sees Lindor comes in, getting all this money. If I hit more home runs, maybe I'll get paid too. I mean, I have no idea the psyche of Jeff McNeil. Or is the team saying, you know, we need this approach from you? Whatever it is, he does what he does – what he does well, he does amazing. And there's no reason to change that approach ever again. And I, there's no reason to think, like you said, there's no reason to think that Jeff McNeil can't do this for the rest of his career. Yeah, you know, because of the mess the Mets had with hitting coaches in 2021, it's also easy to look at that and say, hey, how much did that affect him? The other thing Jeff's done great his entire career is that he hits lefties. He's not one of those left-hand hitters that you cannot play against lefties. You look at his career numbers, he's obviously better against righties, but it's not a huge drop at all. Like, he's been really productive against left-handed pitching his entire career. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, he's been a very good Met. You know, let's not forget that. And I, I also think it, it, draw, it draws us in to watch a guy that doesn't strike out in an era in which everybody strikes out. His strikeout percentage, which is one of the new age stats I love to look at because I think it's, it's perfect. How often do you strike out? What's the league average? What does this guy do? 
McNeil, when he first came up, struck out 9.7% of the time. It jumped up in that 2019 season to 13.2% of the time, went back down to 11% of the time in 2020, jumped back up to 13.6%. And then last year, the lowest since his rookie season, 10.4%. I looked it up. Since his Major League debut, where does it rank? 10th lowest in Major League Baseball at 11.9%. But I think it's more impressive than 10th because there's a handful of guys in there who are not great hitters. They just don't strike out. There are only two really good hitters that are ahead of him, and it's close, so it's not like ahead of him by a lot. And who are those two guys? Well, if you've been listening, it all makes sense. Michael Brantley, Luis Arise. Same two guys. Because they really are, they're the comparables. I mean, that's, that's the guys you think of. So it's great that he's back. It's great that they have him locked up for the next four years at a very reasonable amount of money, especially with this team spending a lot of money. So his tax number is going to be low. And it's something we don't have to worry about because we saw this with DeGrom. No matter how much a guy wants to stay or how much you want to keep him, when you get to free agency, anything can happen. The one question I have, we talk about uh, the one thing that we've talked about, the rule changes this year, the shift change. Is this the one person that it won't help with the, sh- the shift is Jeff McNeil because the way he sprays the ball around anyway? So I looked up, I, I looked this up to try to figure out that because it's, it's a fair question. He wasn't shifted as much as a lot of other guys. And I think a lot of teams started to realize, why are we shifting him? So if you look at the percentage of hits he had this past season, they weren't really aided by beating the shift. I also think he's a good enough hitter where he sees where guys are playing him. You know, he knows where guys are. So I don't think it's negative or positive. I think it's a neutral effect on Jeff McNeil. I don't think the shift's going to make any kind of difference. Um, The bigger base thing is fascinating to me because McNeil's another guy who's got that I call it the Ichiro approach because you don't see a lot of guys who do it where sometimes you're swinging and you're taking a step to first base. Uh, we don't see a lot of guys do it. I've seen Jeff do it a bunch of times where he has that almost swinging bunt in a way. And I bring that up because when we talked about the bigger bases a few weeks ago, it's a bigger base, which means you are slightly closer to first base than you were last year. So it's just simple math. There's going to be a couple of plays. may not be a lot. I'm not saying it's going to change your average by 15 points, but there's going to be a couple of plays at least that instead of a 6-3 bang-bang play is an infield hit. And the Mets were kings of infield hits last year. So in theory, the bigger bases should help the Mets. Maybe not with stolen bases because they weren't a huge stolen base team, but certainly from a, hey, put the ball in play, good stuff happens theory, which is the truth, which is, One of the things we love about Jeff McNeil, one of the things about contact hitters that baseball fans love now because they're rare, but it's a reminder that if you hit the freaking baseball, there's no guarantee, but good stuff can happen. Now, there could be an error. There could be a a low throw that you beat out. It could hit a freaking rock. Anything can happen. So I don't think think the shift thing is going to affect him very much in any kind of negative or positive way. He's just a professional hitter. You know, he figures it out. It was interesting because when we thought Nimmo could leave, I remember you brought it up. Hey, Jeff McNeil should be a leadoff hitter. Jeff McNeil would be perfect as a leadoff hitter. Even though he's not Nimmo-like and taking a lot of pitches, he's not looking to draw a walk. He'll walk, but he don't look to, to draw a walk. So 
he's obviously not going to lead off. Brandon Nimmo is the leadoff there. I think we all accept that. We saw Jeff McNeil last year bat everywhere. It was almost fascinating to see how Buck would use him. He would hit Jeff McNeil in almost every spot in the batting order. Where's the best spot in the batting order for him, though? What jumps out at you? Oh, I mean, personally speaking, I know where he did the best. Um, I think he actually clean, let off really well, but I, I think he hit the best at the sixth hole. Well, here are the numbers. I'm glad you asked because I, I will provide you the facts to back <laughs> up your thought. All right, you ready? Let's so, go. So he batted fifth the most times. He started 39 games batting fifth and sucked, which is crazy. Like, you would think that all of these numbers would be the same. He's a professional hitter. Hit him wherever. It doesn't matter. When Jeff McNeil batted fifth, which means you're protecting Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil's batting average, and, and again, the guy who won the batting title, was 253. 253, which is insanely low. He had an OPS of 704. These are the worst numbers by a lot in terms of anywhere he batted in the batting order, which brings up the point you mentioned earlier, Pete. Was it an approach thing? Was it McNeil saying, oh, I'm batting fifth. That's more of a power spot. I'm swinging for the fences. He did hit his most home runs batting fifth, but nothing crazy. Hit three home runs as compared to two in some of the other spots. I wouldn't kind of read much into that. But the numbers are the numbers. A two fifty three average for a guy that won the batting title, a seven oh four OPS, not good. The second spot in the order that he hit the most often after four after fifth was sixth. I think that's what you just said, right? Batting sixth? Yeah. So he did that thirty three in thirty three games. And while they weren't his best numbers, they were his second best numbers, and they were very good. He hit three fifty seven with an OPS of 868. So very good, fine. I mean, really similar, actually better, but on the line of what he did for most of the season. But the spot that he dominated in was eighth. How about that? Batting eighth. Jeff McNeil did that the third most this season. He did that 23 times, started 24 game, uh, 23 games, batting eighth, and he hit 410 with a 1,074 OPS. Crazy, right? That's ridiculous. Uh, the next spot. So think about it. He batted fifth the most. He batted sixth the second most. He batted eighth the third most. The fourth most, third. <laughs> what? <laughs> Talk about an extreme. <laughs> when he batted third, and he did that 21 times this season, or in last season, he hit 333 with an 882 OPS. And then 18 times he batted 7th, 307, 729 OPS. He batted leadoff five times this year, hit 350 with a 400 OPS. And he did bat cleanup three times this season. He hit 417. It was five for 12, no home runs, four RBIs. So if you read anything out of this, he was great everywhere except fifth. That's the one <laughs> spot where you can't hit the guy. All right. So I don't know if you have it in front of you. If you don't, it's okay. Go but ahead. if you look at his numbers when he let off an inning, they were comparable to Brandon Nimmo's when he, when he let off an inning. Now, listen, obviously Nimmo led more in a game because he was the leadoff hitter every single game compared to when McNeil's you know, leading off the second or third or whatever it is. But you look at those numbers leading off an inning, McNeil was 
up there as far as on base percentage. I think batting average was better uh, than uh, than McNeil's, but it was very similar. So what does that mean, though? I mean, you're not arguing Nimmo shouldn't lead off, right? No, no, no. I'm just saying that it doesn't make a difference where he bats. It's kind of where he bats in the game that's more important. And again, if he's if he finds a way to lead off an inning, that's great. His numbers leading off an inning, very good. 347 with an 870 OPS. He did that in 136 plate appearances. So, yeah, they were good numbers. I, In fairness, even though the numbers were really bad batting fifth, I don't think there's anything to it, to be honest with you. I think that he's a professional. I mean, he was batting everywhere in the order. So I don't think that certain spots were necessarily affecting him. Assuming this team is healthy, let's just assume Starling Marte is playing, Francisco Lindor is playing, Pete Alonso is playing. I kind of lean towards him batting sixth or seventh only because Nimmo one, Marte two, Lindor three, Pete four. You you could put him five, but as much as you hate me for saying this, I think I like the idea of Beatty or Vogelbach batting fifth, like a left-handed hitter with more pop batting fifth. Uh, you don't like that? I, I mean, I just don't like Vogelbach. No, not that I don't like Vogelbach, but I just, the idea of Vogelbach batting fifth in a lineup where we just talk about Jeff McNeil, what's a great asset of him? He makes contact with the baseball. It's like a beautiful thing. And it's like to the guy protecting Pete Alonso, your best hitter, is the guy who he gets on base, he hits a home run, or he strikes out. It's just, it's, it's yeah, very also frustrating. Is- yeah, no, I get that. I also thought about McNeil batting even further down in the order because with the DH now, you want to put guys on base for the top of your order. I've always been a big fan of having my ninth place hitter. And this is, by the way, when the pitcher was still hitting. Like, I love the idea of a pitcher batting seventh or eighth and having that second leadoff hitter in the nine hole. I used to love Brandon Nimmo doing that. I thought that would have been perfect for him. Now, I think he's done well enough where he's just a leadoff hitter. But I do like the idea of getting guys on base with Nimmo and Marte in Lindor coming up. Now, one option, which I would think about, is actually batting McNeil. Because, look, if McNeil's not bothered by lefties, and we don't think Nimmo is bothered by lefties, then why not hit Nimmo and McNeil back-to-back? I don't think it's crazy. Like, if you're not scared of some tough lefty coming out of the bullpen, then what the hell's the difference? And actually using Marte as the guy batting fifth to protect Pete Alonso. I know it's double righties, But again, we put too much into this. Let's break up the righties. Let's break up the lefties. If guys can hit, guys can hit. And McNeil's one of those guys where he's hitting lefties anyway. Marte can hit anybody. He's got pop. He would protect Pete. So Buck got into the the feel of same order every day, which I know a lot of people love. Most managers don't do it anymore. And he was in love with Nimmo, Marte, Lindor, Alonzo, and then we'll change the rest of it. But those are our top four. I'm open to some other ideas on how you want to balance this thing out. Maybe McNeil three. Maybe you go Nimmo, Lindor, McNeil, Alonzo, which is another option. I think McNeil's good enough, honestly, though, Pete, where you could stick him anywhere. As long as the lineup feels like it's stretched out, I can't have a dead spot in the lineup. Like I can't go seven, eight, nine, where it's like, okay, today we have nothing. I mean, and that didn't happen often with the Mets this year. But or in last season, but I just that's the one thing when it's negative. If 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 Buck is getting, you know, these are my top four guys, and then the rest of it is just gonna be what it is. I really want that lineup stretched out for because if somebody has an off day or whatever the case is, I, I like that lineup turning around. If you put McNeil ninth, I'm all for that. I do like that double lead off. Yeah, the the only negative to that idea, 
is the the thought that you're taking plate appearances away from one of your best hitters because if you're batting ninth, you're the last guy to get up. There's a good chance game ends and it's the sixth hitter who is up. And so that guy over the course of a full season is just getting less. He's getting fewer opportunities to hit. And when the guy leads the league in hitting, you don't want to have fewer opportunities for him to hit, but it's, it's fun ideas. I think also a lot of it depends on who plays. Like one guy who I really want to see play a lot is Brett Beatty. And I think there's a lot of ways you can play him. He could be your DH instead of Daniel Vogelback against righties. He could play third base or left field instead of Mark Canna, where Canna's maybe the odd man out. I'm not ready to say Escobar is the odd man out. Eduardo Escobar was one of their best hitters in the second half last year. He carried them offensively in September. But the point is, there are ways for Brett Beatty to play a lot. And more so than Alvarez. I actually put it above Alvarez. I really want to see this kid play. I want to see him get a full opportunity to play. I think there's more avenues to play Brett Beatty than there are Alvarez. And that's not me agreeing that Alvarez shouldn't make the team or Alvarez shouldn't get a chance to play. I'd like to see them both play. One of my big points I've made this entire offseason is that you don't need to add a big bat. These guys, in theory, are the big bats. That the Met offense is only improved if those guys are as good as we think they are. Well, they have to play. If they don't play, then we don't have a chance to see them make this lineup better. I think the reason why it is more important to see Brett Beatty play is because I think his time frame to be the third baseman or to be the starter on the New York Mets is shorter. Francisco Alvarez, you have more wiggle room to play. There's not as many dynamic catchers in the game. There's just not, especially hitting-wise. So we know the numbers offensively are terrible from 90% of the catchers in the league. Francisco Alvarez is going to beat Tons of, of offensive hitters at catching position. Beatty, it's like if he doesn't prove in the next year or two, there's a free agent or we could trade somebody. Indeed. We have a lot more on this as we head towards spring training, which is now just a couple of weeks away. A bunch of pods coming up as we take you towards spring training. We'll finally give you the Max Scherzer versus Justin Verlander podcast where he analyzed both of their careers and then ultimately decide who the hell should be the Mets opening day starter. We have loyalty to neither guy. We will have our big Rico Bronia rewatch. It is looking like it's going to be game seven of the 1986 World Series. We'll post the YouTube link so everybody can watch the game. But it looks like that's where we're headed. And also, what are the expectations for 2023? But more than that, a history of Mets expectations. Sometimes it's easy to forget about what we thought about a team. And what America thought about a team going into the season, just how we feel out of a season, well, we'll go all the way back to 1990 and we'll examine every single season and what the actual expectations were and then what the hell happened in relation, of course, to 2023. So a lot coming up. You can email the pod anytime you want at, what's our email address again? Oh, yeah, thericob at gmail.com, thericob at gmail.com. You can still vote on the Twitter poll on which game to rewatch, but I'm telling you right now, it's over. It's going to be game seven of the 1986 World Series, and I'm damn excited. And listen, if you like it, if you have a good time and we have a fun podcast, we'll do it again. And we'll do it over and over again. I'm I'm not opposed to that. Pete may be opposed to that because it means he's got to watch an old game all the time. But outside of that, let's go. I'm in. I'm ready to roll. And I want to thank a, a very special thanks to Mariah Carey. 
Now, that may not make any sense. Why are you thanking Mariah Carey? I'll tell you exactly why. Quick story. So I woke up on Saturday morning, and I did not have a voice. It was very, very raspy, very, very sore, and it was concerning because my voice has been not 100% for a while. Hasn't been bad, been able to do pods, been able to come on the air. Maybe not even that noticeable to the audience. I have no idea. But I felt it like raspy for a while. But Saturday was bad. So I called up my boy Joe and I said, bro, I hate to do this. I don't think it's smart for me to do the show today. I just don't. He's like, bro, no big deal. You got it. So I texted Craig. And I said, Craig, there was a show a few months ago where you were name dropping. And you said that Mariah Carey had texted you about some kind of voice thing that helps her voice or something like that. And he's like, yeah, why? And I said, I need help. Something's up with my voice. What is the product that Mariah Carey advised to you or you advised to Mariah? I'm not sure. And he tells me the product. I'm not going to promote it because they should be a sponsor. All right. I'm not going to freaking give them free advertising. But all I'll say is I listened to Craig and I listened to Mariah and I ordered this very special and expensive. Let me tell you, freaking expensive lozenger. I shoved it down my throat on Sunday morning, and all of a sudden, I feel powerful. I feel strong. So I may be on some kind of PED, I have to admit. Uh, It's very possible. But don't blame me. Blame Mariah Carey. But thank you, Mariah, even though you never spoke to me. Thank you, Craig. Now I feel good. And I appreciate you downloading and listening to Rico Bronya. Listen to Pete with Tiki and Tierney, me with Craig, 2 o'clock on the fan. Uh, Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.